So, hello, I'm Alex Rockkeen. I'm a barrister third menace's chamber specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm delighted to be joined in, in the shed today um, by the Reverend Phil Sharkey. Um, as people who have seen any of these before or listened to any of these before know, I'm always much more interested in the person I'm talking to really introducing themselves and giving us a picture of, of whichever part of themselves they want to bring to the table rather than me trying to do it for them. So, Phil, over to you. Thank you very much, Alex, um, and uh, thank you for, for inviting me to, to be part of, of this, uh, this conversation with you. Um, I'm an, uh, a chaplain, a permanently employed chaplain at Adderbrooks uh, Hospital in Cambridge, and I've been in that role now for about 14 years. Um, and I'm also an associate priest in the Church of England in three parishes nearby, just outside Cambridge. My background is that of having been a social worker, so I um, began by reading English and philosophy at York University in the early 70s with the intention of being a political journalist, but somehow or another morphed into getting involved with the Joseph Rowntree Trust and the church-based charity that, that led me taking social work qualifications. And uh, that's the career I've had for most of my life. But it's always been a career that the social work was tinged with, with technology. So using early computers, BBCBs and things with young offenders. And that uh, that led me into a career that was more involved with the some of the technology that we deployed in social services. So I, I helped to set up the first uh, IT systems for social services in Hertfordshire. And the last role I had before um, leaving the authority with a voluntary uh, redundancy in 2008 was the County Council's business resilience manager. So it was all about managing risk, whether that's the risk to a child um, or or a risk of, of a, a patient who had mental health issues, that's been my background. And when I've become involved working here at Adambrooks, um, it's given us the whole range. So we've, um, it's, a, it's a fantastic hospital to work in. It's one of the, the best uh, um, uh, in this country, I would certainly say. And we have a very broad range of specialisms. And over the last few years, I've been working more increasingly with patients with dementia. Mm -hmm. and um, how we've met each other through the book that I've just recently published with the trust called Lost Words. And that's, that's essentially what I guess we're here to talk about today. How can we make sense of the, of the often confusing narratives that patients with dementia give to us? And how do we understand their hopes, fears and anxieties and indeed their wishes? As you say, this book, which I, I'm going to put a link to at, uh, at the bottom of this uh, on the web page uh, with this with this talk on, is, is just an extraordinary book. I mean, really incredibly powerful book. Can you just sort of talk me through its inspiration and then the method that you use in order to, to, to bring it bring it to life, as it were? In, indeed. Well, the, the inspiration, I mean, we've been doing reminiscence um, work with the dementia patients, uh, which have been playing 1940s Glen Miller music, <laughs> having tea parties, looking at photographs of ration books and that kind of thing. That was when we could bring patients together, when we had more staff and pre-COVID. Um, but there were some patients who, no matter how much you tried, we actually couldn't get them to speak and engage. And um, there was the opportunity to have some funding from the Royal Voluntary Society um, to do something different. And I thought, well, one of the things we could do is see if we could touch um, on Poems they might have remembered from their childhood, because we learn by heart. And there was that sense that if one could recall that, the, the musicality and the rhythm of that poetry, then the person might kind of uh, come out, they might emerge from, from that kind of inner 
uh, lost state they're in. And so I put a proposal for, we got a grant for that and allowed me to spend intensive time on some of our key dementia wards with patients who had pretty advanced dementia. And the, uh, the I suppose the way it evolved was that I would say, well, do you remember any poems from school? Do you remember, for example, the owl and the pussycat? And there'd be a flicker. And then we'd get some response. And there's, there's a poem in the book, you can see, which is on remembering the owl and the pussycat. And that was a lady who hadn't spoken at all since she'd been in hospital. And she had the little pea green blanket herself up to her chin. And she just woke up and she said, we wanted to get married, couldn't get married. Fantastic dancer, both widows, and then shut down. But there was so much poignancy in, in, in that response to it. And I think most of the 21 poems in those patients reflect that. So that was, that was what, I've, what I began to do. And I thought, well, what do I do with this? Um, and I, I, I just wrote down verbatim notes. We have a method in chaplaincy practice uh, called verbatim reflections for ourselves across a whole range of, of, of patients we see, where we, we take down a, a, as much verbatim as we can. We meet with colleagues uh, and we do a dialogue. And then we write down what the patient said, what we said, and other colleagues in a non-threatening way critique it. Mm -hmm. We say, I wonder what might have happened if you hadn't have said that, <laughs> or if you would allowed me time. So it was with that in mind that the verbatim came out. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I spent some time just trying to make sense of my scribbles and I've still got them there because the patient was talking about several different timelines and you weren't quite sure where they were. And people who may or may not have been still alive, but if they were, they'd have set the Guinness Book of Records for the oldest person because it was their mother and they were 96. Um, and that's where it came to, came from. And um, as I say in the introduction to the book, and I gathered this variety of responses from the patients, I'd, I'd sat down and I reordered some of them. And then COVID came and I was working from home. So this work was sort of late 19. And I was working from home roughly from March to August. And I went and revisited these and I put them together. And I thought, I will not see these patients again. There is a probability, not a racing certainty, but a high probability that many of them would have been discharged before any vaccines were available and testing was available. And they may have themselves no longer be alive for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I was prompted to write the response poems that you see, which are the reflection. And those response poems are picking up on the themes that you can see expressed in the words of these patients when they've been put into a narrative. I've used poetic license. None of the words that are in their original poem are, uh, they're all from them, but I've repeated some of them and I've arranged it in order that helps the reader to begin to get what the key themes were. So uh, that's what yeah, I think. I mean, one of the things that was all, I found fascinating also as well was in the, the, the verbatim bit. And I love the way that you've got the two side by side. And so you really can almost do in a way exactly what you were just saying in terms of, you know, you've got if you wanted to do a kind of gentle critique, you could say, well, have you actually overinterpreted this bit or have you seen this bit or how might that dialogue have panned out? But you've really you've, you've faithfully got the kind of the original. And I love the fact that in the original, as it were, in some of them, you've got not just the words, you've got actions. I just think that's really interesting and important as well. It's, it, it's listening with the whole self, as it were. It's not just the words. And I was just wondering what 
sort of have that aspect of it you when you're engaging with the person that aspect is just really interested in your perspective on that as well yeah 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 i mean i i think there's a particular one called finger foods no sources that uh, in which i i gave in parenthesis some of the actions that uh, that were happening there because this person did have no speech but that there was certainly a uh, glimmer and capacity there so the the finger foods no sources was the sign <laughs> over his bed and uh by by eyes and by gesture and by direction, he showed me what he wanted. And the poem recounts how he kept pointing at his packet of biscuits, which he couldn't undo. And I just saw them open for him and helped to guide one into his mouth. And then he wanted another and another. Um, my lack of awareness was that by that point, there were about three biscuits being munched around. They were finger foods, but he needed something to go with. them. <laughs> but it was all uh, looking at, at the eyes, following his, his non-verbal direction and just sat, allow him time, time to kind of know that he could trust me. And yeah. I think that's, that's, that's so important. It, it's the, the gift of time, which the other busy healthcare professionals just do not have. And that was the gift. And from that, more understanding came. Um, so yeah, yeah. that's, no, certainly the, the theme of time was coming out really strongly because you got the feeling you had been allowed to spend actually the time with these individuals that I suspect many healthcare professionals or that healthcare professionals would wish to be able to spend as opposed to having to rush off and make the next, do the next thing, you know, tick off the next thing on the list. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you sort of mentioned capacity and I'm just really interested in, in, I mean, obviously, the, the, this isn't a poem, you know, these aren't a set of poems about how to do mental capacity assessments or a set of poems about how to think about wishes and feelings. But I, I know because of where you work and what you do that you spend time kind of thinking about this. And I'd just be really interested in your reflections back on that experience and how that kind of tracks back upstream or, or alongside into thinking about, you know. Yeah. The patients you're engaging with, what what their you know what their decision making capacity might be in relation to some of the things you're engaged about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess during the the project, it's getting on for coming up two years ago now. Capacity wasn't one of the things that I was going looking for. It was trying to find some way of of of, of engagement, some form of engagement. But I think that if you discover engagement, then you discover capacity. And, and many people, I think many of our, of our staff who are rushing to complete a task, um, know they've got to do this MCA thing, they've got to tick a box. <laughs> They're not doing it in that form, but um, I can recall not so long ago um, being um, asked to be at the bedside of a, of a lady who wasn't short of 100, uh, but had a, had a fierce intellect still, <laughs> and uh, been, been used to, to, to um, directing her own life and many other people around. And uh, at, at a time, which was very, um, very early. She was asked by a, uh, a doctor before going in to have a hip replacement to um, give her what, which year it was, whom the prime minister was, and the count back from 20. And she got bored doing it. <laughs> I got to 70, do I have to carry on doing this? And uh, it's, it's 2021. 20, he said, well, 22. He said, well, so what? You know, but, but it was, she, she was being frustrated by this, by this approach. And it is an approach. And, Again, uh, I know that um, sometimes with the rush of of the work, they have to renew the MCA, and the renewal is when they wake a patient up at five thirty in the morning. 
and I wouldn't like to be asked any of those questions if I was working at five thirty in the morning <laughs> and on a ward where you've got no sleep because there are seven other equally distressed patients. So that that began to make me think, and so I'm writing what what's come out of the book is I've 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 written a, a training course that I'm going to be running for my own colleagues, and then we're spreading out to other staff working. Um, with dementia so there's a poetry and reminiscence training program and I'm going to try and take my colleagues and some of the, the staff later on um, who work in the wards through through the process really trying to give an example by shadowing me re replicating this again and then we're going to have our own attempts at being able to um, from our verbatim write some kind of response not everybody's a poet and we're not trying to be poets but we're trying to order it in a way and highlight key phrases because a lot of this is about language and about how the wrong words tell us more sometimes than the right words uh, in my introduction i talk about a word lying beside another for long long enough um to to have got associated meaning and it carries more impact mm. it's slightly odd it sticks out and you need to notice it yeah I think the I think it's fascinating the 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 ordering or the real well, ordering slash reordering that the you know the, the the exercise requires of the interpreter as it were I mean it, it, I know that's as a poetic interpreter and I'm just wondering can I sort of I want to gently challenge just sort of interest to see this yeah obviously there is an interpretation going on by you yes. or by the the interlocutor I mean how. If you didn't have the original verbatim there, do we run a risk that, to some extent, what might be going on is your interpretation? Yeah. So, in other yeah. words, that looking for meaning in someone where there are, you know, there's shards there, but it's or pieces, but it's, you know, I'm sort of interested in that challenge, that aspect of, yeah. of how how can one be careful or guard to possibly guard against that aspect? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's a very very fair point. Uh, you need to, to keep as much of the original source material and of course in a verbatim exercise like that again i'm choosing what i write down and what i ignore yeah um, there is an interesting book written about 10 years ago on working with patients with with uh, dementia and poetry and by john killick and in that um they actually record it's in care home settings but they get permission and they, there is a an audio recording and so that that's that's their kind of source material but i um, part of my training for journalism was to actually learn Pittman shorthand. <laughs> so yeah. at one point, I was able to sort of more or less keep down with the newsreaders. But but the, the, because there are gaps and because there's kind of these long pauses, and this is the important thing that you know, ten seconds can seem like five minutes, and we lose our own sense of time when when there's embarrassment and and you know, how long do you keep eye contact with that person for before? Um, it becomes difficult for them. So you do have time to write down those things that, that come there. But I, I've still got my spiral bound books um, with those with those phrases. And, you know, you do need to um, listen carefully. In shadowing, it'll be interesting because you'll have two different people. Yeah, myself colleague. And that's what we're trying to do in some of the training, um, having their own response. Um, but uh, the verbatim method's been going for a while. It was taught by um, a Cambridge theologian here, uh, who's, who's who's moved on. But it, it, it um, we have a practice called "I see, I wonder, I realize," and that comes from the from the from um, reflections on the Greek words in John twenty one, where um, Peter and John run to the tomb of Jesus on the day, and they go in and they find it open, 
and he's not there. And the, the one Greek word, well, the Greek, there are three different Greek words, but they all translated as I see, but actually it's I see, so cognitive eloquence. I wonder, I reflect, and I realize I come to a new understanding. And that's about the empty tomb experience. But I think with many of these things, we, we can say in a non-challenging way, I see that you chose to use that word. I wonder what that might mean to you. And then the, the responder can actually say, well, I realize that's what I thought at that time. I've been through this experience and now I'm different, I'm changed. So it, it is that, that interaction together of, of drawing people to reflect imaginatively and creatively upon um, what their experience of illness, of loss has been um, and, and what, what, are, what are their core values now? What, what do they want for their end of life and treatment? Yeah. Um, and I've, I'm privileged to, to be often, not, 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 uh, not all the time, but often I'm at the bedside of people who are recognizing they're coming to the end of their life and they reflect with me. Um, uh, very recently, somebody who was able to say, well, I've achieved most of what I want to achieve. Um, and Cambridge has a number of people who have achieved quite a lot. I can uh, guess. And this was one one of those, and and someone who who I I knew through my my parishes, uh, but um, it was just wonderful that that we could we could say yeah, yeah, you've what what you've what you've really worked for has been meaningful, uh, and you've contributed, and you know as a priest you also hear all sorts of other material that perhaps only comes out at that point, but that wasn't the emphasis. It was upon the affirmation, and being settled in a place where you where you feel if this is the time, then it's a time of life I've had and what I've contributed. And it's, it's, that's, that's part of what we're trying to, to wrestle with. Yeah. I have to say, we're sort of close, drawing sadly to the close of our time, because I'd love to keep, I'd love to keep talking to you. I just think that see, wonder, realise is a wonderful encapsulation of so many of the things, because that, that, and the fact that it carries, that single word carries those three, I mean, really very different aspects to it is, is a marvellous way of, of thinking about when you're interacting with somebody. I mean, in any context, but in particular in that context where you're trying to engage with someone who may seem quite far beyond or you know, towards, towards the limits of where one's normally engaging. I think that's a, that's a brilliant. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I look forward to, I really, I mean, I'm going to be really interesting to see this, this training programme as it's rolled out. And um Thank you, Phil. The, the book is just fantastic. I, as I say, I will put a link to it. I should also mention it's got some brilliant illustrations as well. So yeah, it's I, I must I must give a, a shout for, for Georgie Meadows. Um, Georgie is a fantastic colleague who the work wouldn't have the impact and the nuances it has without her sensitive stitch drawings of dementia patients she's worked with. And she kindly, this is the first time they've been published. It's a touring exhibition with the Wellcome Foundation, but she kindly allowed me to, to have uh, my choice of, of those images uh, royalty free. So, uh, and there are acknowledgements to her in the book. Yeah, no, they're really wonderful. And really, the, the, I'm just and looking at the, 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 the one on the front cover. It's just speaking volumes in and of itself. So, also, Reverend Malcolm Guide. I better give a shout to Malcolm, who's the, the former chaplain at Girton, but probably our most accomplished Christian poet this uh, uh, in, in print today. So, uh, he was my supervisor. So, to Malcolm. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for your time. Thank you. And, and, and just keep, keep, please keep doing the work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye.